HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Cabard Inn, New American Cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardin.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good afternoon and welcome to What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights with me. That would be Katie Kiefer. And uh, today we're going to be talking uh, nutritional or dietary supplements um, with Dr. Marion Nessel, one of my favorite guests. Uh, Dr. Nessel, in case you are not familiar with her, is the Paulette Goddard Professor in the Department of Nutrition, Food Studies, and Public Health at New York University. She is also a professor of sociology. Her degrees include a PhD. I want you to be aware of this, folks, especially because this, for this program, it's especially nice to know exactly what Marion's um, creds are. She has a PhD in molecular biology and an MPH in public health nutrition. From uh, UC Berkeley, she is the author of many, many titles, including Food Politics, uh, Safe Food, What to Eat, Why Calories Count, and most recently, Eat, Drink, Vote, a very charming and wonderfully informative uh, sort of cartoon book um, that kind of goes back over some of the ground of food politics, but has some new stuff, too. Um, welcome to the program, Marian. Thank you so much for coming back. It's always good to hear your voice. Oh, glad to be here, as always. Are you up in Ithaca right now? I am, and it's snowing. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you don't have a hard time getting back because I'm sure you have to, but anyway. Uh, not today, so it's all right. Okay, good. Um, so, Marion, we're going to talk about dietary supplements today. Um, I got interested in this just because of the uh, last fall, there was a, quite a bit of mainstream press around Oxy Elite, uh, which was causing liver failure in uh, various people who took it, and uh, there were a few cases in Hawaii where people actually died. Um, so I thought, uh, you know, this is an interesting um, part of the food system. And um, I wondered if we could just, uh, I'm just going to read one thing from Forbes. Um, I did a little research about this as usual. And um, of course, Forbes magazine in April 2013 published an article about supplements um, saying that it's one of the fastest growing industries in the world, uh, producing about $32 billion in revenue for just nutritional supplements alone in 2012. And it is projected to double that by topping 60 
that's six zero billion in 2021, according to the Nutritional Business Journal. So very, very big business indeed. And so I let's start, Marion, by talking about when did we all get hooked on freaking supplements? How well, did this started, happen? When we started being suspicious about the food supply. Um, I mean, supplements are just fantastic to talk about because there's so little evidence that they do any good. And some evidence, not a lot, but some that they do harm. And yet half the American population takes them. Yeah. Um, and the, um, you know, one of the favorite things that I have in one of my books is this, I, I think I did it in Food Politics, was I have um, a list of all the reasons why people take supplements and all the reasons why they shouldn't. And every <laughs> single one of them on both sides is absolutely correct. Oh, fabulous. I'll have to look so that up, actually. <laughs> everything, everything is correct. So yeah. that people who take supplements do them because they're worried that they don't have really good diets. They worry that food is depleted of nutrients. Um, they think that um, really the, they will be healthier if they eat supplements, and there may be some truth in all of that. And the criticisms of supplements are that the science shows that for healthy people, they don't do very much good, um, and they sometimes do harm. Um, but uh, people feel so strongly about them that you cannot take them away. And in fact, people feel so strongly about them that when the FDA started flirting with the idea of regulating them because they were worried about the harm that was caused, and also by the snake oil part yeah. of them. I mean, there are, if you go into a health food store, one of those vitamin shops, um, it's not the vitamins and minerals that really raise the eyebrows. It's all the other stuff. Oh, totally. I mean, we're going to get to that, like the numbers of weird compounds that are put together. Weird compounds, and why you would want to put that in your body is beyond me, yeah. but lots of people do. And, you know, people feel better when they take supplements. They feel better that, because you think of the placebo effect or because... Well, it's very hard to sort that out. Right. Um, very, very difficult to sort that out. When you do control stories, studies, and we can talk about how that happened mm-hmm. um, and why um, the, the controlled start, studies started to happen, um, that was a result of one of the results of the legislation in 1994 that deregulated supplements. The um, you you just don't when you do controlled clinical trials you find very very little benefit. Well, people who take supplements don't care. Yeah, they they feel better when they take supplements, and I totally believe that they do. Um, <laughs> whether they do any good that can be demonstrated by science is completely problematic, and yet people who take supplements simply couldn't care less. No, it would seem so. And so, I mean, um, to talk a little bit about the harm they cause and some of the, um, and the fact, well, first of all, let's reiterate the fact that dietary supplements are basically completely unregulated unless they are shown to cause harm, in which case, in fact, I'll read the F- uh, FDA regulations. They, the FDA regulates both finished dietary supplement products and dietary ingredients. The FDA regulates dietary supplements under a different set of regulations than those covering, quote, conventional foods, and drug products under the Dietary Supplement Health and Nutrition Act of 1994, to which you just referred. 
the manufacturer of a dietary supplement or dietary is responsible for ensuring that the product is safe before it is marketed. And two, FDA is responsible for taking action against any unsafe dietary supplement product after it reaches the market. In other words, after an adverse um, impact. And then on Consumers Lab, and I'm going to ask you about that in a second, uh, it, they had an interesting um, piece of information, which was that between 2007 and 2012, there were more than 6,300 reports of serious illness caused by supplements, including 2,100 hospitalizations and 115 deaths. And not surprisingly, in 2007, a federal law forced manufacturers to report adverse events to the FDA, which apparently they weren't doing before that. <laughs> That's kind of amazing. Isn't it? it? So yeah, what do you... Well, th- I mean, this goes back to a very, very long history. Yes, let's hear um, it. Well, starting, <laughs> in I don't nutshell. know, in the, in the 60s and 70s. That's what I was thinking, yeah. The, in the 60s and 70s, there were a group of lawyers, and these lawyers are still involved in, uh, in the dietary supplement business. Uh-huh. Um, they began to argue with the FDA about about the safety and the potential harm of supplements, saying that these were products that were natural and that they shouldn't be regulated Mm -hmm. in the way that FDA wanted to. And FDA did some really stupid things during that period, and I review all this in food politics. Mm -hmm. They shut down some health food stores because they were selling products that the FDA didn't like. I mean, it was, I don't know how you would have done it better, but they didn't do it very well. Um, and the result of all that was that Orrin Hatch, a longtime senator from uh, Utah, Utah, where a lot of dietary supplements are manufactured, mm. introduced the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act of 1994, which was written by the supplement industry. <laughs> There's documented <laughs> evidence that the supplement industry wrote that law. Wow. And he introduced it, and it passed. And it essentially deregulated supplements so that the FDA really can't touch them unless something truly, truly terrible happens. Right, like the oxy-elite deaths that yeah, happened in I mean, Hawaii and, this even, fall. and even then, mm-hmm. um, it's very difficult to prove that a supplement caused harm. Yes, I can you think know, people, it. You know, people eat lots of different things. Right. And how do you know that it's this and not that or some other drug they were taking or, or whatever? It's very, very difficult. Um, and so the FDA's hands are kind of tied on it, and it's not their highest priority anyway. Right. Um, and so what you have is an essentially deregulated industry. And the studies that have been done on dietary supplements show, not across the board, but to an astonishing percentage, that what's on the label is, does not necessarily reflect what's actually in the package. And what's in the package could be nothing, Yes. It could be, you know, so that it's a complete nothing. It has nothing, and it's, you're taking It's weeds and sawdust. Yeah, Yeah, weeds (laughs) and sawdust. Or it could be, um, and they they have found in some cases, that these were basically equivalent to prescription drugs, but taken without a prescription. Well, I wanted to ask you about that, because I wondered, I saw a lot of reports of that, of, you know, various uh, sort of common prescription drugs being included uh, in um, dietary supplements yes, when they statins. were deconstructed, like statins, exactly, um, and other sort of products of that ilk that either regulate your blood sugar or regulate your uh, cholesterol, etc. And what I wondered was, how do these guys, I mean, are those drugs so cheap that they can actually afford to buy them and then grind them sure. up and sort of... Okay, you answered that sure. question. You know, they get them all, who knows where they get well, them Well, that's from. what I'm wondering, where you are know, they, they getting that? They 
Well, they can get them from anywhere. Yeah. Um, I mean, they can buy them from third world countries. They can buy right. them from anywhere um, because there's no oversight or regulation. And whenever the, you know, at any time over history when the FDA tried to regulate dietary supplements, there were horrendous demonstrations mm-hmm. and people writing thousands of letters to Congress. This was pre-internet, and so everything had to be done by hand uh-huh. um, or post office. And the the uproar over it was phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. And so eventually this law got passed and that kind of ended it. Now, the law did a couple of other things that have had interesting consequences. And one was that it required research on dietary supplements. Now, that was a big mistake, um, (laughs) I think, from the industry standpoint, because they started doing. Right, they started deconstructing these. First-rate conventional research on dietary supplements and study after study after study after study comes out and shows that there's no benefit. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And yet people continue to take them, and, and not only that, but continue to want to and pay large sums of money for them, which is the thing that really blows my mind. Because I, I did a little research on the ground at Fairway, as I was passing <laughs> by the other day. And as you know, they have that big, on the 74th Street store, they have a huge like organic section upstairs. Mm-hmm. And um, they have literally, oh, I don't know even how many square feet of space, uh, and we can all calculate what the cost of a square foot of space in Midtown Upper West Side is, um, but devoted to dietary supplements, and so clearly they're a very uh, lucrative part of oh, Fairway's yeah. um, product lineup. Well, yeah, if you don't have to put anything in the bottle, and you can charge a lot of money for yeah. it. right, right. Um, they're, they're enormously profitable. Enormous. And you, you started out by talking about uh, this is a growth industry. It's not growing as fast as it used to. There was a huge growth right at the beginning after the law passed, and the law did exactly what the supplement industry wanted. Right. Um, and now the growth has started down, but uh, has has started to decline. But the absolute sales are still going up. Oh yeah, I mean, just that piece in Forbes that said by uh, two thousand whatever it is, fifteen or twenty one, it's going to be a sixty billion dollar industry. That's, uh, you know, that's pretty substantial growth. It may not yes, be. Yes, and and it's lots and lots and lots of small companies. It's it doesn't have. Yes. It's, it's, you know, it's sort of a new industry and it doesn't have huge concentration. And there are lots and lots and lots of small companies. Yes, um, another that, thing that makes it very hard to regulate because, I mean, how could you possibly get involved with every single company? I mean, even at Fairway, the spectrum of uh, probiotics, for example, that's something that I take. Um, uh-huh. And they have, like, they have the fancy expensive ones in, you know, in the refrigerator case, and then they have the cheap kind that I take on the shelves. Oh, and I'm like, just, eat, just eat yogurt. <laughs> I do just eat yogurt, but I, I honestly couldn't eat enough yogurt to make it do with the probiotics. I have to say, in my case, probiotics have been very helpful. Good. But um, there are a lot of other ones um, that I, I sort of canvassed my friends on Facebook about, and um, and I came up with a list of, of things that people take a lot. And the first on the list was omega-3 uh, uh-huh. fatty acids, fish right. oil. Uh-huh. Everyone takes fish oil. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know whether fish oil does anything or not, but believe me. Neither or- does anybody else. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, some people think it does, and the research on it is very mixed. Very mixed, right. Very mixed. And then I this- mean, the research on it shows that if you eat, that people who eat fish uh, tend to be healthier than people who don't eat fish. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and the studies on supplements show no difference. Is that right? For the, for the most part. Because I don't eat fish, and that's what, it, that's what uh, sort of catalyzed Well, there my... you go. That's the rationale for taking supplements. You yeah. You think your diet isn't good enough. Well, in that sense, it's not. Yeah. The other yeah. one that people take a lot of is B-complex, and they take amino acids, of very, a, a huge spectrum of amino acids. Mm-hmm. Now, what? Why would you need to take amino acids? You wouldn't, um, because <laughs> amino acids are part of protein. Exactly. And the um, and if and most Americans eat twice the amount of protein that they require. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally two x twice. Right. The oh, I, I'm surprised it's and, not more. And that means that even if you're a strict vegetarian, and um, and eating only vegetable protein, you're still going to get every amino acid that you need in a vast excess. Right, right. um, And and why people think that that would do any good is kind of beyond me, but I'm sure that they take it and say it makes them feel better, just like you feel better taking omega-3s. Yeah, well, probiotics. I mean, that or, actually. And, or yeah. probiotics. Well, and I take the omega-3s, I have to admit. And uh, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take a short break right now, Mary, and stay on the line. And we'll come back. And I have a few. Um, I brought a couple of supplements in that are very popular right now or that have seduced me. And I want to talk a little bit about the marketing of supplements sure. and how they play on people. And so, that'll be fun. Yeah, right? So we'll be right back with Dr. Mary and Nestle. We're talking dietary supplements. Stay tuned. And um, back in a second with What Doesn't Kill You. Thanks. The following program has been brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential small hotel, is located on a quiet, tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 40 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant or enjoy a cocktail and listen to live jazz in one of their cozy Victorian seating areas. Mingle with travelers from around the world who find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. This is What Doesn't Kill You, uh, Food Industry Insights, with me, your host, Katie Kiefer. We're on the Heritage Radio Network, and my guest today is Dr. Marion Nessel. Uh, I think no further introduction is necessary. Most of us know who you are. Um, so, Marion, we were talking about dietary and nutritional supplements, and I wanted to get into the fact that um, just the incredible marketing uh, program that exists, that is kind of, I mean, part of it is on TV. For instance, I saw some really crazy um, ad on television about dietary supplements and I um damn and I can't find it right now it's on my somewhere here on my uh notes but anyway we'll find it later um but some of the other ones that are really hugely um let's really hugely popular are things like CoQ10 and this is something that Dr. Oz recommends and so there's one aspect of the marketing and I I wondered if you could weigh in on how you know medical doctors or quasi-medical doctors you know are sort of hand in glove and do you I mean do you Marion Nessel follow the money trail and see whether these guys are receiving uh, financial remuneration for this or is it something that they you think they actually believe in well you assume they get that you assume they do. I mean, it's really hard to know unless there's been some kind of expose mm-hmm. on it. Um, you know, Dr. Oz, I can't account for uh, the kinds of things that he promotes. He's such, he's such a curious mixture of deeply intelligent and snake oil. I don't mm-hmm. know how to, you know, I don't know how to put it together. Um, 
But the marketing of these things plays on people's quite legitimate fears that their diets are inadequate. Um, and right. I mean, most people think they don't eat an adequate diet. They eat a lot of junk food. I eat a lot of junk food. Um, and because you, Marion Nestle, re- eat a lot of junk absolutely, food. Absolutely, I adore don't it. burst my bubble, um, Marion. <laughs> yeah, I like sorry. to think of you living on like a lettuce leaf and you know, a lettuce you know, leaf now and then purified right. water. I, mean, I like food, and yeah, the uh, and uh, most people feel that their diets aren't perfect. And if your diet was perfect, how would you know? There's absolutely no way to tell. You don't know how many nutrients you're eating. You don't know what the nutrients are in the food. You have to take on faith that if you eat a reasonably varied diet, you're going to be doing just fine. And in fact, if you eat a a reasonably varied diet, you're going to be doing just fine. There's very, very little evidence of nutrient deficiencies in people in the United States. It is very difficult to induce a nutritional deficiency in somebody who eats enough calories. Right. It's really hard to do. Um, and, you know, there have been a few isolated ex- examples, but the nutrient standards that are done by government are way too high for most people. Uh-huh. Um, and most people do just fine. And one of the ironies of dietary supplements is that the people who take them are the ones who need them the least. Yes, right, exactly, you because know, of the people with disposable people income. Yeah, disposable income. And, <laughs> and who care health, about their diet. And who care about their yeah. health, who care deeply about their health. And these are the people who need supplements the least. Yeah. And, you know, there's, you can make a blanket statement that people who take supplements are healthier than people who don't take supplements. That's a correct statement. Yes. Um, but are they healthy because they're healthy, or are they healthy because they take supplements? Very difficult to sort that out. Yes, very. And, I mean, who could possibly subsidize the necessary research to determine whether or not, for example, okay, here's a great example of a doctor promoting an entire regimen. Um, this is, I picked up in the Huffington Post. Uh, this is somebody named Dr. Mark Lyman. Have you come across him? He's a blogger. I've heard, of, the Post. I've heard about him. Okay, so yeah. he has, he has um, how do you uh, deal with insulin resistance? He claims that insulin resistance, when cells become numb to the effects of insulin, there are one or two ways in which these supplements work. They make your cells more sensitive to insulin, and two, they increase your cells' ability to metabolize sugar and fats. Also, special fibers can slow the absorption of sugar fats into the bloodstream, leading to a faster metabolism, et cetera, et cetera. Now, first of all, where, where would he get this information? Like, if there's no actual study that says... Uh, that uh, taking 500 to 1,000 uh, milligrams of omega-3 fats, uh, 1 to 200 milligrams of magnesium, 3 to 600, I'm reading this right off the list, alpha lipoic acid a day, and yeah. 2 to 600 chromium polyonicotate, nicotinate. Mm-hmm. Where's the study that says well, that those well, compounds... There are grains of truth in all of that. Uh-huh. There are always grains of truth in that. There's a study, some, there are probably plenty, there are plenty of studies <laughs> right. that say that magnesium is good for you, uh, that nicotinic acid reduces cholesterol levels and so forth and so on. I mean, there are loads of studies that do this. And I suppose the omega-3 ones are the ones, you know, this is nutrition, this is nutritionism in action. Right. I mean, that's what supplements are about, or nutritionism, which means um, a, a reductionist argument that if you take this, it's going to do for you what eating a healthy diet uh, could, could do for you. If you've got insulin resistance, you need to lose weight and eat less sugar. Right. I mean, you know, I, I mean, it's not, you need to lose a little weight. Right. Uh, it'll, it'll work, or, and get 
active. It'll well, work wonders. But, but um, you can take Garcinia Cambogia if you want to lose exactly, weight. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so this is a great way. You know, it's, a, it's an aid to do it. And we have strong belief systems about these kinds of things. I mean, my, my particular belief system is I don't want to put that stuff in my body uh-huh. um, if it's not really, 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 really well tested because I don't know what it does. I mean, I'm willing to eat food. I know that the body is set up to metabolize food. I don't know what that other stuff is, and it scares me. Yes. Um, but I don't take drugs either. So, you know, I, don't, I don't take controlled substances either. <laughs> but, you know, and I'm always astonished that people are willing to put things in their bodies that they may or may not know. Well, do you think you that know, this, what they do? Right. Do you think that that, uh, that sort of willingness to put things in your body sort of really kind of comes out of um, the pharmaceutical industry pushing the medical industry to sell more drugs? And then so therefore you, you kind of, you almost grow up with the sense that if I take some kind of medicine, I will be better. So this is a medicine that you can prescribe to yourself instead of having a doctor prescribe. Yeah, and we know that pharmaceuticals and prescribed medicines are very dangerous, and lots of people die every year. Hundreds of thousands of people die every year yeah. as a result of uh, improper medicines and, and prescribed things. That's one of the arguments that the supplement industry has used forever to mm. promote its, its products is that we're safer than drugs. Right. And for the most part, they are. Yes, because some of them just have weeds and sawdust in them. So <laughs> that's right. You might get a stomachache, but you're not going to die. You're not going to die, right. So, I mean, it's really, I I don't know. I think that we're hardwired to uh, believe that if we take something, it's going to make us feel better. I mean, I think that's something in the way the human mind operates, um, and certainly every society has. I mean, I don't think there's a society in history that were that any that some anthropologist hasn't studied that says that people take things and some of these things have some science behind them and some don't and what you hope is that most of them are harmless at least right right i do think it's like it's kind of like believing in god you know yeah, what i mean sure. there's a, there's definitely a religious sure. component to it or sure. that or that that part of the brain is what is being engaged in this I belief so. system yeah, that I you're going to so. you know that something is going to make you better just as if you pray you're going to go to heaven if mm-hmm. you take a supplement you're going to be healthier and live longer and there's that whole piece of like of you know desire for immortality that i think everybody shares and and we all especially as we get older gets more and more scared that um <laughs> That, oh, my God, we are actually going to die sometime. (laughs) Perish the thought, you know. No, I'm going to take some more supplements before that happens. No, I was just, like, astonished when I went through these lists, like, partly because of what my friends um, take and, uh, you know, that's lots and lots of that. Um, And then partly because there are so many sort of myths around a lot of very common supplements. And just for the last couple minutes of the program, I want to talk about some of the things that people have completely bought lock, stock, and barrel. For example, taking echinacea. If you take echinacea, you won't get a cold. Where well, that where that come from? <laughs> um, because there's some there were some studies that showed that people who took echinacea uh, reduced the length and severity of their colds. 
And there are other studies that show that it doesn't work. Yeah, exactly. And it's but the there's same some that show that it does. That it you does. Know, you know, these studies are very hard to do, and they often produce results that show very small differences. Mm-hmm. And so you're never, you know, because echinacea is one factor in everything else that people are putting in their bodies and doing when they have colds. And colds are miserable. Yes. People will do anything to get rid of them. They're horrible. <laughs> um, you know, I just got over one, and I couldn't believe it. It took three weeks to get rid of it. Yes, it I had awful. one of those. Yeah. yeah, it was awful. Um, so you want, you think, oh, if I just take this, it'll make it go away. And you take it and you start to feel better. And to determine whether you're feeling better because of the echinacea or because you were going to feel better anyway, it's right. very, very difficult to do. You need a lot of people in those studies. So they usually, if they show any difference, they show very small differences. And if you do the studies really carefully, they don't show any difference at all. Wow. And who, just out of curiosity, who's doing the studies? Is that, uh, are these independent research entities? Yeah. After the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act, Congress, uh, you know, donated, Congress authorized funding mm-hmm. for the Office of Dietary Supplements at NIH. Right. Um, and they sponsor studies. And also the, there's an alternative medicine uh, office at NIH that was also authorized during that period. And they, um, you know, I once talked to the director of the alternative medicine office, and he said, you know, we're not trying to discourage the use of these things or to discount the benefits of these. We would be really happy if one of the studies came out and showed that these things did some good. Right. But they don't. Huh. Well, it wouldn't make Big Pharma happy, certainly. And it well, probably they, wouldn't make the AMA all that happy well, either if it turned uh, out that acupuncture not. was better for you than, you know, whatever drug regimen you've been given. Or, or whatever surgery yeah. you were getting. Right. Right. Um, no, they probably wouldn't. But the, um, you know, so the, there's always been this sort of snake oil aura around these kinds of things from the standpoint of conventional medicine. Mm-hmm. But, you know, placebos are really good things. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're lucky Clearly. enough to be a placebo responder, and lots of people are, yeah. um, you, and you take something that makes you feel better, that's a good thing. It is a good thing. And on that, I'm afraid we have to wrap it up. But um, I want to thank you so much for giving me the benefit of your wisdom on this, Marion. As always, it's uh, been a great pleasure. pleasure. <laughs> um, we have, do we have anything we want to promote, Marion? What are we uh, doing? What are we working on? Where are we going to speak next? Oh, oh gosh. Um, I'm teaching a course in food advocacy at NYU this semester. And that starts next week. Uh-huh. And I'm working on a book about sodas. Oh, and the soda excellent. industry. Oh, tremble, all ye Coke and Pepsi executives. <laughs> no, I'm having a lot of fun with it, but it won't come out for a couple of years. That's okay. We'll still be here. At least I will be. I'll be looking forward to it. Marion, thanks again for joining me today. Thank okay. you to my engineer, Bye-bye. Joe, and to my uh, sponsor, Tabard Inn. We'll see you next week with another thrilling episode of What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights with me, your host, Katie Kiefer. Have a good week, folks. See you then. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. 
Thanks for listening. Yes,